This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. starting in verse uh, 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went, up, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly uniting, united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Alkedema, which means field of blood. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms, where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus's resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. Out of praise. 
Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here. As Robin said, we welcome you to the house. Uh, we've prayed over you already. We've had people that have prayed over the chairs of the house to bless your life. And I hope until now you, you have been blessed. I hope you've especially just felt love. Uh, if you're new with us, if this is your first time, I, I hope you feel uh, that you can find a place called home. What we do try to do here, though, is, is help you find home. We try to be smart enough. If it's not us, I've got a lot of good connections in town with pastors, and we want to help you somewhere. We believe if you'll plug in anywhere, we win as the kingdom of God, right? And so, but, but we're thankful you chose us to be here today. I want to challenge you. It's Easter, right? And, and I've been kind of wrestling with what to say, the typical Easter message which is Mary and Mary Magdalene run to the tomb. They find it empty. They come back and tell Peter. And, and uh, you know, the, the typical what we would say is an Eastern, Easter sermon, he's alive. And to convince you Jesus is alive. And in, in prepping for today and just thinking and praying through it, I landed on the path, passage of Scripture that Missy read to us because it challenged my heart. And I was trying to be fair to myself when I read it, to think through my life and hopefully do several things today. So I'll try to be very intentional. First is that you may feel convicted about where you are in life. We saw two people get water baptized today, a decision to really move forward with God. And that number two, you would feel challenged if you, if you are a Christian and you've been serving God any length of time, my prayer is when you walk out the door, like Ryan said, you, you really feel challenged to think about this journey of faith that you're on. And then the final is that you would leave with a commitment, whether you've never really acknowledged Jesus or whether you've been in the game a long time, you would leave with a commitment on your heart. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking through. I want to go to this scripture in the book of Acts that was just read. Verse 15 is what leapt in my heart in thinking through it all week. I, I kind of judged myself on this moment because this moment that I highlighted in yellow, 120 believers, last, uh, last evening, Joey and I, who works here at the church with us, we came by and we straightened up the chairs and we counted them all and just because I, I didn't know how many we had. I said, Let, let's just count them. So... I've never really done that, but I'd have thought, okay, well, there's 209 chairs, right? So I guess if we're fair today, there's probably about 160 people here. The reality of that is, in this passage of Scripture, this is kind of what that moment would have been like. A group of people that determined that they wanted to follow Jesus Christ. Now, here's the issue with that. In modern terms, this is a failure, this Jewish dude showed up on the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. And when he showed up on the scene, he began to do strange things. You, you, if you know the gospel stories, he would raise the dead, cast out demons, heal sick people. He walked on water. He calmed storms. I mean, he did a lot of what would seem like magical tricks, although he said it was the power of God in him. And then he made this really brash statement. The brash statement he made is that he was God in the flesh. He wasn't just a prophet, he was God. And so that blew the mind of a lot of people. First off, it was kind of emboldened to claim that you as a human are actually God. Not that you're close to God or you're his friend or you're real special and God kind of check marks you that you're one of his faves but that he actually claimed he was God. 
And when he claimed he was God, he proved it. The Bible said he would prove it by doing strange, abstract, impossible things such as walking on water, uh, raising a dead girl, telling Lazarus, come out of the grave, and Lazarus comes out of the grave, right? Bringing hope to people who were hopeless. And so what it does is, is all of that kind of attracts this huge following of people. Of course, they're intrigued, right? I think any of us would be intrigued. They were very intrigued with him. Like, did you hear about the dude that did this? Oh, he raised that guy. Did you hear about he took J. Iris' daughter and healed her? I can't believe he healed her. Man, I was there. He like he just had a little handful of fish, and he fed over 5,000 people. It blew my mind. I can't believe it. So you know the buzz is going around. The issue about the buzz going around is it poses a problem. The problem that it poses is this dude named Jesus from Nazareth is from backwoods Galilee, meaning meaning he doesn't come from a very overt outward place. He comes from a very obscure place. Best way I could define it is Temple, Georgia. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And I try to be fair with this group of people because what we have after this, uh, you know, history will tell us a Galilean redneck. He, He comes from Galilee. He comes from Nazareth. Even Philip will say about a Nazarite, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. We might say it, can anything good come from Temple? Like, really? Like, that's from Temple? Somewhere that small, that obscure? Well, that's kind of where they all were. Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, there's this dude, son of a carpenter from this very obscure little tiny redneck town, but he's blowing our mind. Like, he's doing things we've never seen done before. Yeah, I heard he claims he's God. He can't be God. And so you saw the video. Like, some people are saying he's not God. He's the devil. Others are saying he's a false prophet. Other people are trying to kill him. Other people are trying to hang him. And that's kind of the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John telling this story of this weird dude who was a Jew from a redneck town that claimed he was God and then it did all these magical powers that only a God could do because it it was so out of their religious box. And then the end of his entire ministry, the end of walking on water, the end of all the miracles is 120 people. Jesus, the Son of God, gathered less people than we gathered today. I mean, that's almost a a, a marvel of a modern failure. Three years of your life trekking around all the area and region, and you would think after Easter, right, his resurrection, there would be thousands upon thousands of people. And there's not. There's 120 this is 50 days, so we're a, we're a month and a half in. Right now, we're 2,000 years past it. This is about 50 days past his original resurrection. A, a month and a half after Jesus came from the dead, we could only find about 120 people who were sold to it. 120 of them. And it really bothered me, not this story bothered me. What bothered me is trying to be fair to myself to ask, would I have been in the 120? The answer, I'm just being fair, the answer is probably no. I think if a dude came from Temple with a 16-ounce hammer on his side and walked up to Douglasville and said, Yo, bro, I'm God. I say, dude, you're on meth, you know. That's the only thing come out of temple is that. That ain't, uh, you ain't God. 
No, I'm God. Now think for a minute, because we're too religious today, because most of us be, oh, I'm being that. You wouldn't. You're lying to yourself. If you think you would follow a redneck carpenter from Temple. Now, when I say follow him, this is how it would have to go. Because only 120 of them are in, sold out, supposedly. Thousands saw him. Thousands ate his bread. Thousands heard of his miracle. Thousands gossiped about him. But his resurrection's over, and this is what we're left with. Less people than what's here this morning. And the end result of that, can you imagine how this conversation went? A conversation where you have to risk being part of this group. You're going to be an idiot. You're stupid. This has never happened. You sold your soul to this moment. Everything you believed in, you're stuck in an upper room, hot, in the Middle East with no air conditioning, with your fingers crossed. And 2,000 years removed from that, we have this weird thinking that the bigger a church gets, the more passionate we are for God. And what I find out the way God started it is he took the 6,000 people, weeded them out, and left with this. And 2,000 years later, out of something that happened in this 120 people, you're here. Like God weeded down thousands of people and left it with 120 and said, you know what, I think 120 of them could probably reach the world. I think 120 of these motley crew people could probably get the gospel to Temple, Georgia. And an angel says, Temple? Where's Temple? And he says, well, Temple's not here yet, but it's coming. Well, what's Temple? It's kind of like Nazareth. Oh, you're making one of those again? Right? Like that's how far thoughtful he was. He was, God was so convinced that this 120 could change a world. And yet today we think the bigger the church is, we change the world, and it has nothing to do with church. It has whether or not you will risk what you believe. A hundred and twenty willing to risk it will change the world. A church of 5,000 who's lazy and religious changes nothing. And so we really have to get back to this 50 days in because I, you know, I tried to think through it. I'm like, all right, 50 days past the day. I just don't know if I'd be in the group. I mean, I, I try to be good to myself. Like, yes, I would. I know I would. But then I try to think, there's no way I would have said yes to... If, if that dude came up to Mark, follow me, I'd be like, dude, where? And he doesn't tell him. He just said, you follow me. And, and as a man, I'd be like, no, I broke. I'm okay, you got to tell me, because i got to go and tell my wife I'm following you somewhere. She's going to say, where, golf? i got to have an answer for my bride when she asks me why I'm following you around. And he just says, follow me, and, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And I bet, dude, I hate fishing. Like, I'm not a fisherman. I'm a tax collector. I don't fish. Ugh, I, mean, I don't even like fish. I don't do sushi. And so I really was fair to like, you know, I hope you don't leave today and think he needs help. You may have already be thinking that right now. Remember, <laughs> I think he really needs help. Um, I just, I just don't know. I mean, I'm glad he chose me. I'm glad I'm here in this generation serving him. 
because I had good parents and I had good people that, that told me about him. But in the original group, I just wonder if I would have had it. So I, I wrestled with that. Now, let me read the next verse to you to kind of set the stage of what I want to say today. So now we must choose a replacement. So the, in, in the group of 120 of them, we must choose a replacement for Judas, who was the one that traded him out for silver. I need men that were there with us the whole time when we were traveling with the Lord from the time Jesus was baptized by John. So they go all the way back to Jesus' baptism and say, we got to pick somebody that's been with us the whole time. We don't need a newbie. we got to have somebody that's been in with us. Man, they know the ins and outs of this pack we run with. And so from the time he was baptized to the day he was taken, and whoever's chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. Next verse. So they nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice and Matthias. And then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you've chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in the ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. And they cast Lot, and Matthias was selected to become the apostle with the other eleven. He became number twelve. So let's just go back to that phrase, 120, that first verse. Picture this day. We're 50 days in. We've convinced our spouses to be here. It's hot. We don't know what's coming, but the Jewish dude named God told us to be in this room. And so we showed up in this room. Maybe somebody drug you here, but you're here. And all of a sudden, one of the leaders stands up and says, All right, uh, what we need to do is Judas traded us out. He's a traitor. And everybody's like, Judas, I knew he wasn't with us anyway. Always had a funny feeling about the guy. <laughs> so, so Judas is gone, right? And then just to make it even more palatable, they were like, oh, and, and he traded us out so his guts busted open. I mean, that really makes you think, if I'm going to trade him out, I'm not now. Like, I just don't want my bowels to blow up in the middle of the room. So they say, let's pick two guys, but it needs to be two guys that have been with us the whole time. And so they're like, hey, man, there's two guys that have been with us the whole time. It's Matthias and Barsabbas. So they pick them. And they pick these two fellows, and they put them in the middle of the room. And this is what they say about the two fellows. God, you know all of our hearts. And they kind of clue us in that God sees things we don't see, and God knows things we don't know, but one thing about God is he knows us. He knows our secrets. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows your habits, your addictions. He knows. It's no problem with him. And so he pulled these two men up in front. And just imagine, if you will, that in and of itself is embarrassing. If I grab two men today in this group of people, and I said, all right, just come on, I'm going to stand you up in front of everybody. Your heart's going to be racing. You're like, oh, man, God, what's he going to say? You're going to call out my sins? What's he going to do? Oh, Jesus. Forgive me, I kicked the dog this morning. God, forgive me. Don't. And he'd be coming up like, don't, don't let my bowels blow out. Don't, oh God, I don't want to die like Judas. And they pull you up, and then here's what we're going to do publicly. Publicly in front of the 120 that remain, we're going to take two out. Now there's 118 people, and now we're going to vote on you. But what we're going to vote on is not who we like best, but who God likes best. And that's got to hurt. I'm sure their hearts are racing when he says this, Lord, show us which of these men you chose. 
Now you know your heart's racing because both Matthias and Barsabbas have been with Jesus the whole time from day one. But the thing about these two brothers is they get zero recognition. They don't get a gospel. Their names never show up. We're never told about them. But they were there for every miracle. They were there for the walking on the water. They, they were there the whole time. And yet they don't get a gospel. They don't get to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. Nobody ever mentions their name. They're basically just nobodies. Two nobodies that nobody knows have, have because they stuck it out are in this moment of sheer destiny. Two guys nobody really knows. They, they show up here and really don't show up ever again. And as they're sitting there, you know they're thinking, oh, dude, it's probably me. I mean, I've been here the whole time. I don't whine. I don't complain. My, my, my belief is, is the reason it's not Peter, James, and John is they were probably just introverts. They were very quiet guys. They just went with the flow. Whatever Jesus wanted them to do, they did. They weren't preachers. They weren't extroverted, loud talkers. They were probably just good old stable dudes. And here they sit in this moment. And you're about to be voted on. And here's how the vote goes. And they cast lots. And God picked Matthias. That has to sting. That has to sting when God picks somebody else but you. And you feel like I've been in the game the whole time. Why him? Why not me? And in one fell swoop, it says... To become an apostle with the other 11, one man, Matthias, becomes number 12 and steps into an apostleship and the other guy becomes unlucky 13. The number 13 that everybody in our culture says is an unlucky number. It'll never be on an elevator. It'll go floor 10, 11, 12, 14. It'll never be in a hotel. They will not put the 13th floor. 13, too unlucky. You don't pick 13. Maybe this is where that came from. Can you imagine how he has to go home and tell his wife, how did it go today? Sold my soul to him. Got rejected. I'm number 13. I didn't make it. I'm the most unlucky person in the world. As a matter of fact, for the rest of eternity, I will be known is unlucky 13. And it will be so powerful that every culture will never want to be 13 because it's the worst number on earth because it's cursed. And in one failed swoop, Barsabbas steps into a lane of I feel cursed and rejected. Why me, God? Why didn't it work for me? Maybe he went home and said, you know what? Maybe he lied to his wife. You know, you know, honey, how did it go? I mean, it went okay. I'm number 14. Maybe that's why he skipped over it. Maybe he went home. I don't know. It's all speculation. But still, how it must have felt to believe that God actually picked somebody else instead of you. And so I go back to that moment of 120 people. I'm trying to be fair to myself with my hurts. I think everybody in the room's been hurt before. What even happened to him? What happened to Barsabbas? What happened to his life? 
Did he go from 120 down to 119? Because Barsabbas like, man, peace out. I don't got time for this. I sold my soul to this Jewish dude and I get to this moment of my life and y'all reject me? And you hurt me? Peace out, man. I, I just can't do this anymore. I can't waste my time doing this thing anymore. I had, I had higher hopes than that. And so as I'm thinking about the 120, wondering if it went down to 119 that day or what happened, I tried to ask myself, what does it take to be part of a group of people that are the 120? What did it take out of all those people to step into this group and go, man, I'm willing to risk it. I'm willing to risk this thing here because I believe so much in what I believe. And so that's what I want to try to help you this day. Here's what I landed on, number one. You have to be willing when you follow Christ to take a risk. I wish I could say it was a happy thing, but there's something about Christianity at its core is risky. It's risky because we have to believe there really is a God. It's risky because people are going to hurt you. It's risky because you have demons that try to follow you. Habits and addictions. Excuses. It's risky because it requires something out of you that no normal human would really feel comfortable doing. It requires me to die to me to live for something bigger than my pleasures and, my, and myself. It requires a risk out of me to be vulnerable in my life, to be willing to step into something. I really don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to do it anyway. And to follow Christ, walk with Christ, and live for Him, to be one of those 120, every heart in that room that day had to take a risk. Every one of them. Is this Jewish dude a liar? Is he just some popular guy? Is he really God? And so here's what I've worked out that I think every heart in that room had that day. All right? So I really wrestled with it. Like, what about every heart in that room risks something? And this is what I've worked out. This is what I think they risk, number one. Will you risk your pride? Can you imagine having to go home to your spouse and go, Hey, honey, um, there was this dude that came by and said, follow me. And uh, I think I'm going to do it. Well, wait a minute, honey. How, how would you leave me? How would you leave our business? We have, a, we have a camel business. You can't just walk out and leave the camel business. We're camel sailors. This is what we do. It's our dream. We got together hooked up. You love camels. I love camels. We even do double hump camels. We're trying to breed a triple hump camel right now. And I cannot believe you're going to follow this redneck guy from Nazareth. Where are you going to follow him to? I, I, I don't know. He just said, follow me, and he would make me a fisherman. You don't even like fishing. But I have to take a risk in my pride. I have to be willing to lay down what I want to do with my life. I have to be willing to go, I don't understand everything. And the risk of this pride is, is really strange because what would cause a group of 120 people to leave everything they've dreamed of, to lay down their bucket list, to lay down the homes they want to build, to lay down the families that they want to grow, and they would lay it all down for a Jewish dude, and they would sell their soul to it. Everybody else tucked tail and ran. They went back to the comfortable, but not the 120. They had to risk their pride. And the pride is this. 
Do we really serve God because of what he does for us? Because the one thing it said about Barsabbas is he came on board at the very beginning. He came on board at Jesus' baptism. He didn't come on board after the first miracle. He did not come on board after the loaves and the fish and he got his belly full. He came on board from day one. And it tells me something about a heart of pride. When you risk your pride, you serve him just because he's God. If he never answers a prayer, I serve him anyway. If he never heals my wife, I serve him anyway. If my wife gets killed by a drunk driver, and she did in 1989, I will serve him anyway. If I ask God to bring my husband back, but he runs off with another woman anyway, I will serve God anyway. I don't serve God because he gives me money, gives me houses, gives me cars, gives me land, becomes my cosmic lawyer to fix my marriage, my counselor to fix my depression, my banker to give me money, my real estate agent to give me a home, my car dealer to give me a new vehicle. I just serve him because he's God. And that is a hard place to get when a lot of American Christianity sells the God that is everything else but God. He's the God that'll give you a new bride, the God that'll fix you, the God that'll, and He will. He's that kind of God. But when the root of my following Him is in what I get out of Him, then my pride has never really died. Because I have to just follow him because he's God. Well, why did you pray for this? And I can't believe you serve God and he let your wife get cancer. You know what? If I'm honest, I can't either. I don't know why the God I serve allowed my bride or, or the enemy came against my bride or however you want to theologically throw that out there that she got cancer. But at the end of the day, I don't serve him because he does good stuff for me. I serve him because he's just God. And he can do for me what? Now watch this. A banker can give me money. A lawyer can get me out of a hole. A car dealer can give me a good deal. But the one thing people on earth cannot do is give me life. And I think these 120 people decided he's more important than bread. He's more important than wine. He's more important than camels. He's more important than donkeys. He's more important than walking on water. He's just God. And they sold out to it. And I'm convinced the reason maybe we've lost passion is maybe we're more in love with a God that's more like a genie in a four-leaf clover than a God who's just God. And so when times get hard, it's sort of hard to sell out to that because I'm rubbing him and my my genie Jesus isn't coming out of the bottle. He's not giving me my three wishes. And the preacher said if I gave an offering, I'd get a wish. He said if I prayed, I'd get a prayer. I'm rubbing this thing and my Jesus is not coming out of it. But would you risk your pride? My answer today is I think I would, but if I go back, I'd be like, I just don't know. I mean... It's hard to trust something other than me. I'm really good at trusting me like I never do myself wrong. And when I do, I forgive myself real quickly. Right? I'm real kind to forgive me and have a lot of mercy toward me. But but would you risk your pride? 
here's a verse. I'll take you all the way back to Jesus' baptism. Now remember, Barsabbas was at this point. No miracles yet, no loaves to fish, no walking on water, no demons coming out. But this was the day Barsabbas showed up. After Jesus' baptism, when he came up out of the water, the heavens opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And then it says this, A voice from heaven said what? This is my dearly loved Son. And in that moment, I understood what it means to risk your pride. To risk my pride means I have to make a determination that He's God before He ever does anything. Before Jesus ever did anything, the Father's voice said, This is my Son. And everybody in the room, before you give an offering and get money back, before you get a prophecy, you always have to come to this point of, I just serve Him because I believe He is God. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm part of the 120. I just, in some weird way, I heard a voice one day, and the voice came from heaven and said, it's the Son, and I thought, dude, I've never heard a voice say anybody's, I'm in. I'm just in. Count me in. And I think there's something in our American Christian values that may need to have the conversation of, why do we Americans call ourselves Christians? Is it so he'll fix everything or is it because we really believe he's God and we'd die for it if we had to? And if he never healed another person, never answered another prayer, he's still God and I'm still going to serve him. That's what I mean by risking your pride. The second thing I think this 120 had to do was risk their emotions. The one thing I've learned in, in following God is that you never get so spiritual that your emotions don't show up. And man, they are some weird things. You have to, if, if you're Barsabbas and you've got to be in the game the whole way, you're going to have to hear people trash talk you. You're going to have to hear people tell you you're stupid. You're going to have the Pharisees threaten you and your team and your families. It's just not going to go well. I think there's something about Christianity that we don't do well risking our emotions. We like to blame people. Well, the reason I'm really not part of the 120, my last pastor hurt me, my wife hurt me, my daddy abused me, I've been rejected, I was molested as a kid, I just can't sell out to that God. I can't sell out to a God who would let a preacher hurt me. I can't sell out to a God who would let my uncle rape me. I can't sell out to a God when, when all those people who say they're Christians gossip and lie and cheat. And I can't sell out to a God when I prayed and asked him to bring back my daddy. He didn't. I'm sorry, man. Peace out. I can't do it. My daddy was leaving my mom. I asked God to bring my daddy back. My, God didn't bring my daddy back. I grew up without a father. No, nah, man, I can't. I, I'm sorry. And I've noticed, even in my own life, the reason many have a hard time being part of the 120 is our emotions become our God. Our emotions become the thing that moves us on. Our emotions are the thing that keep us from really selling out to do what God's called us to do. My husband hurt me. My wife hurt me. My ex hurt me. My whatever. I don't trust religion. I don't trust preachers. Tell an evangelist, take your money. 
I mean, just all of it. Emotion. We're emotional people. We can, we can go from a high to a low in a snap of a finger. We can be doing really great. Something happened. Emotionally crash. But these 120 people had to, lo- had to learn to suck it up. They had to learn if I'm going to be part of the 120 that changed the world, i got to suck it up. Everybody gets hurt. Everybody gets done wrong. Everybody gets gossiped about. There's not a one of you in this room, including me, that hasn't got your feelings hurt. You haven't felt like you've been stabbed in the back. Somebody's done you wrong. Somebody hurt you, abandoned you, rejected you, abused you. Welcome to humanity. I'm not trying to downplay it. I've been hurt myself. I've been stabbed in the back. I've had to bury a loved one. I've had best friends hurt me. I've hurt people. I've failed royally in my life. Why do you think he came? Because we're a bunch of messed up dummies. But messed up dummies hurt each other. And if you let messed up people hurt you, you'll never be part of the 120. You'll always be making an excuse. You'll always be saying why you're the victim, why you can't overcome. Well, nobody talked to me. Nobody hugged me. Nobody made me feel special. Nobody called me. Grow up. It's the world. It is the world. We are humans. We hurt people. And I wish we did not. I wish everybody in this room was just perfected, but you're not. I'm not either. And so we have to understand that this 120 probably came to a place to where they realized, man, if we're going to go forward with God, we got to pull our big girl pants and big boy britches up, and we got to just suck it up. And if you need to cry, go home and cry. But after you've cried for a day or two, stand up and dust yourself off and raise your hands and give God a praise. Everybody's been hurt. Everybody's been abandoned. Everybody's been rejected. Everybody's been left hung out to dry. Everybody in this room at some point has been a number 13. Every one of us in the room. It's why we need Jesus Christ. But the reality is we'll never change America. We'll never see the gospel change our generation if we can't suck our emotions up long enough to die for the king. And if you come here, welcome to humans. It's not like we're going to be perfect. It's not like every sermon I have is bad or good. And if it's not good, take me to Mexican food. We'll have a wonderful time and you can tell me what to say next week. Like I'm good with that. I'm not trying to appease you. I'm a dummy if I think 52 weeks out of the year I have to hit a home run. I hope sometimes you walk out and go, that's terrible, but I'm going to go back because I'm sold out to it. I'm sold out. There's some mornings I sit here and go, I wish they hadn't played that song. And then today I was like, they better be careful. I'm going to do a cannonball in the baptism. I got so excited at that last song. I was like, I was in the back like, ah, ah. I don't, I can't even dance. And I was doing things I've never seen. I was like, Lord Jesus, what's going on? I leaned over to Ryan I said, and to Derek. I said, they better be careful. I'm going to do a cannonball. Wouldn't that be awesome just to preach it? Boom! <laughs> you have to risk your emotions. Not everybody's going to be kind. Not everybody's going to think you're wonderful. Not everybody's going to think you're all that. Grow up. Jesus is worth dying for. Get involved. Here's a scripture in John 6. Look, look at the actual verse. 
Just let that soak in for you religious people. The actual verse is 666. <laughs> and here's what verse 666 says. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Verse 666 in Mark's translation goes this way. Yeah, man, they couldn't suck their pride up and their emotions and they checked out. Believers who can't suck their pride and their emotions are part of an antichrist spirit. The devil's, the devil's playing games with you. He's going to destroy you. You're going to walk right off the edge, destroyed in your marriage, your emotions, depressed, anxious, drug addict, addicted, habits, porn, all of it. Because you, you, you got to a point with God. You were okay to go to a point, but when the point said die to your pride and the point said die to your emotions, you're like, yeah, don't, yeah man, I can't. Man, I'm out. I'm out. That's way too deep for me. And they checked out. It's probably been my hardest thing to die to and risk is emotions. I wrote a book on it. If you want it, I'll give you a copy. They're only, they only cost $1,000. <laughs> but for a seed of $2,000, I'll give it to you for free. <laughs> I did write a book, and I would love to give you a copy if you want it. I do not mind. But I wrote it on emotions because... I've struggled with emotions. I've struggled walking out of these doors sometime thinking, I don't, is this what I'm supposed to do? I feel like it's not working. I've had days driving home on I-20 from Sunday going, am I even making a difference? Should I do something else? I mean, I think we're all emotional, right? We all have good days and bad days. But if you're going to be part of the 120 that change the world and sees God really work, you just have to dust yourself off. You got to cry if you need to cry. Just cry it out, man. Cry to their snot all over the floor. But when you're done, get up, dry your tears, and risk your emotions to get busy with God. The third thing and final thing is this. You've got to risk your effort. You have to risk your effort. You can't just come here and cop God 30 minutes a week and then expect your life to be awesome you got to give him effort. You can't work 60 hours at Home Depot and then come here for 20 minutes a Sunday and think, I'm going to be a real passionate Christian. If God only gets your leftovers. The 120 had to come to a place that it was God was worth my effort. Yes, I was tired but I went anyway. Yes, I was tired, but I read my Bible anyway. Yes, I was a little depressed, but I prayed anyway. Yes, I really didn't have the funds, but I gave somebody something anyway. Yes, I, I didn't really want to forgive them, but I did it anyway. Yes, I would have rather my uncle got worms for raping me, but I forgave them anyway. Yes, I decided to forgive my ex because she destroyed my life, but you know what? I decided to risk my emotions anyway and take the extra effort and bless my enemy and do good to them. Because you have to risk effort if you're going to get out and go do something for God. So let's go back and see what happened to number 13. Barsabbas. Here it is. Number 13 did not make the cut. He probably got his feelings hurt. But the history of Barsabbas is that he sucked up his pride. He sucked up his emotions 
And he traveled to a little town called Bethgarba and he started a church. And in Aramaic, the term Bethgarba means the house of strong men. And what we learn about Barsabbas is when you get rejected, when you feel like life's not going your way, when life throws you a curb and you have to go home and tell your wife, I'm unlucky number 13, he has to suck up his pride, dust off his clothes. Hey, bro, where are you going? I'm going to go to Beth Garba. Why? Because I'm going to go get every other number 13 I can find. And I'm going to start a church in the middle of a town called House of Strong Men. And I'm going to let the devil know, you may have thought you rejected me, abandoned me, abused me, manipulated me, hurt me, gossip about me, and did me dirty. But after I'm done crying, I'm going to dust myself off and I'm going to do the kingdom of God. I'm going to give God effort. I'm going to give God effort. And if, and if the church in America is ever going to make a difference, the way we're going to make a difference is to suck our pride up and our emotions up. The way we're going to make a difference is quit whining and pouting about what somebody did to you. We're humans. There's nothing new on the planet happening. And we're going to have to dust ourselves off and say, regardless of what happened to me, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And I may be in the middle of 60 hours of Home Depot, but my Lord, aisle 13, is going to become a house of strong people. I'm going to walk through this Home Depot and they're going to pay me to be here 60 hours. But what I'm going to be is a place of Beth Garba. Everybody that walks down my aisle is going to bump into the Lord God Almighty. I'm going to own my life. I'm going to own myself for the God of all gods. Now when we get to this place, we change things. We change things. When we stop talking about what my last church did to me and my last person and the last this and the last that, and we all, me and me included, right? I mean, I tried to start off like I don't even know if I would have made the 120. But if we were all just honest, I serve him because he's God. I suck it up and dust myself off even when I've been hurt and rejected and abandoned and manipulated because there's something I need to give effort to God for because I'm going to bring hope to other people. Amen. That to me is what Easter's all about. Amen. That's what makes the resurrection worth being here 2,000 years later. Amen. If this group in here about 140 could become like the 120, we'd turn Douglasville upside down. Amen. This place would be full multiple times over. If all of us just kind of came to the place, I serve him because he's God. Yes, my feelings have been hurt, but so what? I'm, I'm serving because he's God and I'm going to give him all my effort. So here's my question to you today. Would you risk saying yes to Jesus? Now for those that have never said yes, it's this simple. You're just going to have to get on the team. Maybe you've, maybe you've ran you your whole life, right? It's always you, you, you. But today, that carpenter steps in your life and says, but I want to know, would you risk letting me be your God? Would you die to you and let me be God? That's the first yes. It's the door in. It's, it's salvation. The second yes are for those of you that have been saved and you're a Christian, but somewhere in your walk, people have hurt you. And you've let your emotions get the best of you. And you're holding back. You're not giving your full self. 
You don't want to be hurt again. You, you, don't, you don't want to be manipulated again. You, an ex, a husband, a pastor, a wife, a child, I mean, whatever. But to those of us that are believers, I, I would pray we would all be mature enough to maybe pull the knife out of our back and go, you know what, yes, I was hurt. i got to cry it out, but i got to get over it. And I don't mean that in a, in a rude way, like get over it. But I mean that we grow up and we stop letting emotions rob us from really following hard after God. Amen. And then the third yes, you're a good Christian. You really don't have anything bad. You feel like you're doing good. You've forgiven everybody. You know how to forgive. But that third yes is yes to effort. You're needed. You're needed. There's so many hurt people in our world. You're just needed. Young people, you're needed at school. You're needed to speak up. You're needed to pray for a friend. You're needed to own your 50 feet. Wherever you work, there's somebody there that needs Jesus and God's put you there like a missionary to win them to the Lord. Would you say yes to effort? In other words, when you go to work, don't just go to work, but go to work as a missionary. I'm going to let God use me today. Whatever you want to do, God say yes to your effort. And if we do that, I think we can really see a change come to our culture. Let me pray for you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message. 